Welcome to Bold Thinking, entrepreneurial stories honestly told. In a world full of chaos, this is a podcast about the people making positive change in the world, using bold thinking to transform businesses and themselves. So I'm really excited to introduce Abby Pearl today, who's got amazing energy and a lot of wisdom. And she has spent the last six years or so heading up advertising at GIFGAF, a mobile network that's run by its own community. So Abby, welcome to Bold Thinking and really excited to have you today on the podcast. How are you today? Thank you so much for having me. I've been really looking forward to this all week. I feel I, I feel like weirdly, uh, like yeah, not, not worthy of all of the great speakers you've had, but I'm just really, really excited to share to share some positivity with everyone and just like a little bit of my story. One of the things I really uh, loved about Abby when I spoke to her last week was just a really lovely um, shining light and your energy is really brilliant. And I think everybody's had a really tough year. And, you know, what we need a bit more at the moment is a lot of optimism and, you know, forward thinking. And I think you're just brimming with it. So getting stuck in now, tell us a bit about you, your role and how you ended up at GIFGAF. I feel like I have the best job in the world, I have to say, to start. I really, really love my job. So uh, I'm head of advertising at GIFGAF. I also recently took on propositions, so thinking of ideas for products, which is even more exciting because you get to advertise the products that you might think of, uh, think of, which is really great. Um, my journey with GIFGAF actually started when I was working agency side. I was working for the ad agency Fallon. And at the time, we'd lost our telco client, which was Orange. And uh, I saw, uh, I think it was a headline in Campaign Magazine, that where GIFGAF were looking for a new ad agency. And the GIFGAF uh, brand director had been an old client of mine. And so I sent him a Facebook message and just said, hey, I've heard you're looking for a new ad agency. Um, would love if you wanted to take a walk on the, on the Fallon side. You've got a big beard. We've got people with big beards. We give our clients free <laughs> breakfast and coffee and I'd love to work with you again. And then so that, that somehow that Facebook message, like managed to get us like a foot in the door to, to, uh, to pitch to them. And originally GIFGAF didn't want a big agency. They were completely anti-TV. Like everything was all about, we'll get our members to spread the word and we don't want to be making big glossy TV ads. And we managed to win the pitch with an idea that was really exciting and uh, like quite bold when I think about it now. I actually think it, I just literally had a flashback of the pitch meeting, but we, we went into a new client and said, what you need to do is do this massive campaign, which was called Join the Weirdos. And we had this incredible creative director called Dave Dow. You can all see why it didn't happen. But it was all about celebrating people who, who thought differently. And it was like, it was about flipping the term weird on its head. So like, is it weird to have a business that sent around like being fair to consumers versus like just selling them and trying to rip them off is it weird to have no contracts versus uh people staying because they want to stay and like the, the sort of the spirit of that campaign I think was enough to sort of like get us the business and then uh, rather than join the weirdos which like unfortunately <laughs> didn't see the light of day which I can understand for many reasons why now I'm in that hot seat <laughs> we created um, we created a uh, our first campaign was rather than a TV ad, like and I remember like selling this in again at the time, just again, it's not a TV ad, it's a three-minute zombie film. <laughs> and we made this three-minute zombie. 
zombie film that aired uh, once on Channel 4 because that's all we could afford um, and made on an absolute shoestring. And it was all about different, not having to be scary. And these zombies, rather than taking over this village and like eating your brains, actually helped the villagers to put on a village fate. And we invited like loads of GIFGAF members down to come and be part of the of the advert as well. So I think we took over a village in in Surrey for sort of three years. So uh, sorry, for three days, not three years. Um, but it was just, I think from that, from that moment, from sending a Facebook message to get on a pitch list, like not having checked with our CEO at the time, can we pitch? Like maybe, maybe not smart move, but anyway, won the business. Um, like and creating like a really amazing campaign for this like really beautiful brand that was trying to, you know, make a genuine difference, like trying to really change like the telco industry for the better, was just really exciting. So I think ever since then I've just been so in love with the brand and feel so privileged to work on it. So yeah, I'm sort of like they're stuck with me really. <laughs> I love that story. Um so tell us a bit about what is GIFGAF? Why is it different? Why is it disruptor and, and why is it integrated into the community? And what do you do to help the community? So GIFGAF was set up in 2009. Um, our founder, Gav Thompson, had this had this vision that you could run a mobile network differently. And there were there was lots wrong with um, with networks, like tying people into long contracts, massive overheads with call, uh, call centres that weren't always necessarily very helpful. And he tells this really wonderful story about, at the time he was sort of like thinking about, you know, what's the, what's the future of pay-as-you-go for O2, who he's working for? Um, and he was also, I think like... Uh, he was really into his BMW bike and he sort of like found that he was getting like better advice from uh, BMW communities or just like communities of enthusiasts out there than he was from like uh, the dealerships. So he was like, okay, well, what if you can just apply that same sort of thinking into a mobile network? And so just, just went out into communities of people who were really enthusiastic about mobile networks and we're trying to do things differently. Would you like to help us? And so like via this like community of people, like started to create these principles of what we would be. So like really understood what, what annoyed people and then what we could do to make it better. So there's this like beautiful book, uh, like beautiful bit of paper from a moleskin book where he wrote down like three words, mutual, fair and simple. And at the heart of it, that's what GIFGAF's all about. Like the word GIFGAF actually means mutual giving so we don't just take we we give back which I think is like really really quite beautiful like we've got this thing actually called payback where our members get involved in running the business and that helps us like keep our costs down so they help us with all of the customer support or member support we call it um, and they help us recruiting other members they get involved in our adverts and we pay them back in payback points that they can then choose to keep for themselves or they can have it against their phones or they can donate it to charity. And it's just, I, I remember reading this, uh, I think it was in the Telegraph, a headline from 2010 that said, uh, Give Gaff the Bonkers Networks pays back to their members. And you know, when you think like, I'm just so proud of things like that, where you actually, we we weren't trying to set out to go, we're purposely driven. We just thought this was the right way to run a company. And I think that's just so inspiring. And, you know, it's sustained by 12 years on, which is just incredible when we were chatting last week, you were talking a lot about during the pandemic and how the business operated. How did GIFGAF tackle that and how did it all work? I, th I think when I was talking to 
you last week you made me fall in love more with what happened last year yeah, than, yeah. than I'd ever realized before and I think that so just before the pandemic struck just before we went into national lockdown we had a get together with a small group of folks from across the business from technology to uh, to marketing where we just thought okay well what can we what can we do to support our members like during this pandemic we're a pay-as-you-go service like what happens if people can't manage to get out to a shop to to stay connected and that was like a real you know a real concern like being connected with people is really important and so we all got together and sort of brainstormed a few ideas and gave ourselves the challenge that within I think the original challenge was like within two weeks and it took you know slight, slightly longer but I think only about like five weeks but we set ourselves a challenge like how could we spin up a new product really quickly that where we could work together with our members to to help people through the pandemic and we created a new product which is the, the first product I've ever created, which is crazy now I think about it. Like, why on earth did I put my hand up for it? But yeah, I created this product called Goodie Bank and like a food bank. People could donate credit that would go into the Goodie Bank, GiveGap would match it, and then we'd have this fund of money that would help people. And then further to that, we partnered up with Neighbourly, a community platform that ha- uh, were helping give micro grants out to lots of community projects and charities up and down the country to help support them to like do their really valuable work. So we had these like this two tranche approach to helping people with connectivity and helping local communities as well. And so cre- yeah, created a product in the space of five weeks. Had an incredible team of vol- like volunteers from across the business who volunteered their time. They worked over the weekends to get things done. We did lots of testing and managed to get this, uh, yeah, got the goodie bank out, I think it was last April. And I think we did six weeks of fundraising and raised, I think, like £18,000, which like helped to keep people connected all the way through Christmas. And, you know, we just like, said to GiftGaff members, if you need help, let us know and we'll give you an £8 goodie bag on us. And it was just really, really beautifully simple. And then with the Neighbourly Partnership, we kickstarted the fund. I think we had just under a hundred grand we donated. And then like we had all these beautiful stories about all of these different community projects and the work they were doing. Like, and it just, I think it really helped to make people realize actually we're in this really difficult time, but as um as people, as people who've got like different skills across in like many different areas in the business, we can feel like we're making a difference. And I think that was such a such a positive start to like the pandemic hmm. so tell me a little story what is there any that sort of spring to mind there's a really lovely story from a uh, from a small community called called the Rosie May Foundation and they were going around in a little like pink tuk-tuk delivering food packages to people but they also delivered these lovely like cupcakes that had a lovely rainbow on it and were really like brightening people's days and I think back if you remember back then everybody's out on their doorsteps like clapping we had like kids doing their lovely little rainbows that were all in the wind windows everywhere I feel really nostalgic like thinking about it now but it just it just really made you realize that this the work we were doing had was having a real tangible impact and you know like this little tuk-tuk that was able to go around like delivering these like lovely like rays of sunshine to people's days was just a yeah just a nice reminder that it's not just all about yeah, you know, doom and gloom, or even like, you know, I think the start of the pandemic for us wasn't just about like even SIM cards and connectivity. It was about community and connecting with people. 
Yeah, no, I totally love that story. I think, so I just read this thing a while back, which just said, when when there's trouble afoot and, and things happen, don't look for that, look for the helpers. And I think that just keeps your mind really, really sort of like positive in really difficult situations. So we should have seen one. We should have seen one. I'm going to Google it after. So you've got obviously being agency side, now your client side, you know, and what what does what does bold thinking mean to you in the world i think i think when i was agency side i probably would have been more on the more on the side of I, I, like I went even just thinking this, like what I used to think was bold thinking, like just like, OK, you've got to be really like really ridiculous, really like uh, attention grabbing. And I and I think I think now I'm client side, you can you can marry up that level of uh, creativity, but you have to always think about that utility. Like, how can you be really useful, really simple? And I think that's where like that beautiful innovation comes. So if I think of. Like, OK, I think of like a few a few examples over the years of things we've done, which could be classified as bold thinking. So we sponsored entertainment on the E4, which was like this whole tranche of loads and loads of different shows on E4. And they're what they weren't really connected, to be honest. It was uh, like lots of disconnected shows. But what did connect them was the fact that um, lots of people uh, tweeted about some of the shows that we were sponsoring. So we're like, okay, well, why don't we just tweet alongside them? And the ad creative will just be putting the tweets in the ad. And it was, I remember being in meetings with Channel 4 at the time, and they're like, oh, we're going to have to go to the American uh, like TV stations. We're going to have to see if they'll let, they'll let us do that. And they're never going to say yes to it. And it just turned out, actually, they were fine. And we just put in place a process where we had lots of approvals and we made sure we uh, had really due diligent checks. And then we carried that approach on TV, uh, TV sponsorship through when we sponsored the voice on ITV to the point where we then like filmed people and put them on television and it was all about these communities of fans so actually when you would like had like hashtagging the voice UK gift gaff would come up because we were always talking to fans so I think for me bold thinking is it can be like the simplest idea and it doesn't necessarily always have to be something that's never ever been done before but I think it's like being unafraid to give it a go and 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 just working out ways to do things. Mm. No I love that story it's brilliant and actually sponsoring The Voice it's interesting as you were saying that I thought I, I totally remember you doing that now on The Voice it's it <laughs> I totally forgot GiveGov had done that. Um, so what what overall do you think you've learned from that? Uh, pragmatism um I, th- I think actually the but be- the best thing I've learned actually is just how to be commercial and to balance that creativity with commerciality and it's it's such an important tool um a few years ago I was given the brief how can we establish gift gap as a destination for refurbished phones and so my creative brain went we'll stop selling new phones that that's that's the way to like that's a shortcut and then actually when we start to work through it commercially you can see okay well people still like people still were buying new phones so we had to sort of think about what a link could be and we were we were looking at a lot of audience insight. We saw that our audience had an over-index for caring about environmental issues and uh, sustainability. Refurbished phones were cheaper, and we made it like you know, and were profitable to us as a as a business. So then it was able to sort of like connect up like an insight with a creative thought, like and 
and something that could help the business make money. So then could go back to the business um, to say, okay, well, rather than being like terrifying and say we're going to completely get rid of new phones, why don't we actually reposition refurbished phones, not just as something that's going to save consumers money, but something that is actually better for the environment. And there's no, there's a lot of headspace where nobody was talking about that at, at the time. So I think being able to combine that creative thinking with commerciality, it then resulted in, I think within, again, really, really quickly, like we'd made one poster that was going to be on like tube car panels and in outdoor media, spoke to an incredible product manager for phones, who then re-tagged up everything that was called like secondhand phones to refurb phones on our site. And within the first month, refurbished phones like overtook sales of new phones. And it was just, I think for me, it's like being able to showcase that commerciality, the insight, get the right people on board. Like, you know, we can do everything in an advert, but if the experience on the website doesn't help people get there, we're, di- we're digital only, then actually, you know, it's not all going to work. So I think that commerciality, like knowing that you need other people on side and you need to inspire them, I think that's really, really important too. So I think client side has taught me to be more well-rounded rather than just focus on like the creative output. I think it's interesting. So obviously brands like Patagonia, I have to say, I'm, I'm pretty in love with because and their repairs yeah. and uh, business has just gone through the roof, hasn't it? And I was really lucky actually recently, uh, we're working alongside, uh, they're working with a client of ours. So to be able to have a really good talk to them. I suppose the bit in my head is, I was, I was sitting here thinking, how does that work with technology? However, last night I had my upgraded iPhone 12 and my 15-year-old son was hankering the background ready to take my my iPhone 10 off me gleefully because he's got his dad's iPhone 8. So actually it's a massive market in it, isn't there? It's huge. And I think even so, even thinking what happens to that iPhone 8 that he's not using True. and then, you know, being able to trade that in. So we last year we did, a, a, I think for Black Friday, we had a campaign that was called Check Your Draws, which was all about highlighting the amount of e-waste that's in the UK. And the fact that I think the UK is like sec, like was the second worst like e-waste polluter. And no one really talks about that. Like what happens to those phones after you're not using them? And especially if they're in working condition, like why not trade it in, get some money for it and then someone else can use it so I think I think that conversation about like recycle reusing circular economies is so important and I I, like for me working for a mobile network it's just it's trying to work out like I like you really admire brands like Patagonia and it's thinking okay within my within what I what I can influence within the like the difference our product can make in the world what can what can we do to help people make different make different choices that you know benefit their pockets but also can benefit the planet too that's brilliant I didn't even realize I did that so what do I do with my iPhone 8 <laughs> well you go to gift gaff recycle and you get a little quote and then you trade it in <laughs> I need to dig through my drawers because I've got a lot of old phones in them, I can tell you. But I, th- I think you're right. I think that's massive today. And I think people are much more around sort of sustainability. But then I have to say, when the iPhone 12 came through last night and um, literally you put the two phones together and you know a lot about this, but I don't put the two phones together and they basically talk to each other and all my information it's from amazing, one went to the other within 15 minutes. And then I handed it over to my son. I was like, before you had to do that really, oh, that download and that. Write your numbers down. Oh, <laughs> write my numbers down. Make sure they're all safe. Photograph them all. Put them in that sort of handwritten book. And now literally it was like, 
they they talked to, I don't even know how it worked but they talked to each other and it beautifully handed over so I really like that idea of the repair and I think it's massive for thing the brand so just on with that question what do you think people want or need from brands today what are they looking for I think I think there's two things I think you can never get away from the fact that people want value for money and and you can't I've seen some like articles about like, you know, the like sustainability market and, you know, the fact that that could be you can charge it like you can charge more money for like sustainable products. And I, I just feel like that's completely wrong. And a few years ago, I was really lucky to go over to Ghana to a conference for MTN, the, the African mobile network. And they were talking about uh, how they were. They wanted to be a good business rather than a business that does good. And MTN was set up just after uh, Nelson Mandela came into power in South Africa. And at the time, I think it was 1% of black South Africans had access to telephony. And so they set out to create, to give greater access to all people to the digital age, which seems like a really like bold statement. They are now like one of the biggest mobile networks in the world. And they, you know, they created everything in a really sustainable way. So they, they had like challenges of having to get across massive land masses. And for me, like, you know, that was all about giving people access, like fair access to, to like, to a digital age or, um, to be able to uh, contact others and they did it in a way that was giving like people greater value and all of the sustainability bits and the other you know the other inclusion parts were part of that but that was they just set out to be a good business and for me I think when I think of brands that I really really admire it's ones that that goodness is at its core like it's not tapped on it's not something that you can easily sort of poke at and then you look under the surface and and you sort of discover some some horror stories. So I think it's you know make sure that you are you are true, you're authentic. If you are if you aren't a sustainable brand, don't try and say you are. Just be not operate in your area or try to do what you can to be better. But I think that yeah, like doing good, being really authentic and honest with that good that you're doing. Like don't overstate it because I think that like really could serve to just ruin everything else that everyone else is trying to do. So um, I think consumers are. They're just probably looking for people to be honest with them and value their time, value their pocket um, and be good. Mm. No, I think that's totally true. And I really like your your thing earlier about customers actually feeding back to make Gift Gaff a better business. You know, how 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 core is that to what you do? I mean, it's it's essential. Um, one of our community managers once told me our members, um, they they berate us to our faces and praise us behind our back, which I really, I really, I, I really quite like. And I think whether whether you think you're doing the right thing or you're not, like it's you get very, very quick feedback. There are things I know that we still need to work on on the GiveGaff community, which are really obvious. And they're that, you know, they're really at the forefront of my mind about what we can do. And I think it's you're in a really special position when people feel like they can they can tell you anything about about your brand. Like there was a really lovely example from earlier this year where um, Ash Schofield, our CEO, had had a WhatsApp message from a GiftGaff member he'd met once at an open house that we'd had. So he, uh, like pre-pandemic, we'd have these events like open houses where we'd invite members of the community could come to our office. They could like grill us, ask us any questions that they wanted. Um, and just in that process, I think one of the community um, members, a, a guy called Anton, had got 
Ash's Ash's number, like to contact him. I think it was about like they were going to play some sports or some something like that. And so when Anton found something that he didn't like, he then dropped Ash a, me- a WhatsApp message, and Ash called him back. You know, like for me, like I'm flabbergasted <laughs> that, that that happened. And you just think, like, I really love how it grounds you. How I'm so proud that we've got a CEO who, where someone like drops him a WhatsApp, he's on the phone, or you know, he's on he's on the community, like looking at like, okay. How are people feeling about things? He's very aware of it. And we get feedback from our community. And also another good temperature check is our, our own like gift gaff team members. Like because everyone, again, it's it's like a it's a beautiful cult where people feel so connected and protective of this brand that you want to like you always want to do the right thing. And in an increasingly competitive market, being able to keep everybody happy is really, really difficult. Yeah. I think you're right. I think a culture and an organization is really important. And I think everything we've been through, I think employees want to feel it's super respected. So, you know, looking forward into the future, how optimistic are you? And and what do you think it's going to take for a brand to thrive? I feel I'm, I'm internally optimistic, which is probably, a, I don't know if it's a positive or a negative. It's I, think, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you've got to have, I've got I'm probably like 70% optimist, 30% pessimist. I think you've always got to be able to, to hope and to try and to, and to think things can be better and to strive and to strive for things to be better. But you have to have a healthy dollar for cynicism, which is the reality check of what is possible. And then, and then you can sort of like get to a place where, where you're, where you're happy. I, I feel, I feel like the pandemic was a really good way to reset, like, everybody you know the fact that we're you know we're doing this all working remotely we're not traveling into like central London to have to do things the fact that we over the last year have really you know had time to reflect on you know race um issues the fact we're really like properly talking about D&I and we're seeing brands take like big steps there you know working from home can you remember like like I don't know two years ago where it was like a thing if you got to work from home we're trusting people more to to do things and we're being way more innovative and so for me I feel really optimistic about the future because I think I think there's a bit we've gone through a really big change we've proven our resilience and I think like we it would be really sad to like step back and just go okay we're not gonna we're not gonna like learn from that so I'm really excited about what that can mean for the future about what that means for flexibility about what that means for representation about what it's going to mean for sustainability as well I think it's a it's a very exciting time, but we've got to take, like, we've got to act on it. It's interesting, at the moment, we've got a lot of clients asking us to look at the 10 years and what does 2030 mean for them? If you imagine looking back in 10 years' time, how, how, how will you see yourself in this role and everything you've achieved? I think I'll probably be really tired. <laughs> uh, make, like, imagine if I'm less optimistic, that'll be a shame. No. <laughs> um, I think in it's it's a funny one, isn't it? Because I guess if if you'd said to me ten years ago, do you think the world would everyone would have had to be in the same position? Everyone would have been really leveled out by something. It was just really unfathomable. So I think I think in ten years' time, I'd like to think I'd like to think that I've I've done more things that I'm really proud of that I've helped more people that we we're able to have some really tangible outcomes to some of the ambition that we've got and 
I'm sure I'll just look back and be absolutely exhausted, but still incredibly happy. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it sounds amazing. Um, well, thanks, Abby. That's been really, really interesting today. Um, so thank you for listening to Bold Thinking, Entrepreneurial Stories Honestly Told. If this episode has got you thinking, share your comments on LinkedIn, Twitter or Instagram, or you can connect us at um, hello at thehonestbrand.com. Join me next time to hear from someone else who's making a positive change in the world. And thanks to Abby, your um, enthusiasm, optimism and shining light it definitely comes through. And I, I always sort of, uh, last a few times I spoke to you, I feel really motivated um, by life and, and moving it all forward. So brilliant. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure.